1: And welcome to the second best day of the week for the Real Investment Show. Of course, it's Thursday, getting to wrap up this holiday shortened week. It's also the first day of June as we kind of get the month of May behind us. So there we go, get ready to wrap up the quarter. What does that mean? Well, it seems like we just finished earnings season. That's right, in a month we're gonna start earnings season all over again. So it's going to come up on us very quick, of course, as we get to the end of the quarter. Uh, this is also we're now moving into a month where share, corporate share buybacks go into blackout period, which means companies can't buy their stock back prior to their earnings announcement. That's going to start to gain some traction here over the next couple of weeks. So that will remove one of the buyers from the markets. and. Yesterday, the market did pull back here just a little bit. Not surprising, we, you know, we've had a decent run here over the last couple of weeks. We were kind of pushing uh, more than two standard deviations really kind of above the market, particularly on the NASDAQ, not so much on the S&P. But yesterday, market gave up a little bit of that. It was a pretty quiet day, actually, a little bit of buying in the afternoon. Um, but that was all kind of prior to the whole debt ceiling deal uh, last night. The question was, was whether or not the House would actually pass it. You know, yesterday morning, we talked about um, how the bill had to pass the House Rules Committee. Once it did that, it would get to um, the House for a vote. Of course, the vote was last night. That passed with help of Democrats, of course. There were about 35 or actually roughly a little over 50 people um, had actually um, not voted for the debt ceiling. But there was enough Republicans and Democrats combined to get it passed. That now goes to the Senate. It is mostly assured, at least as far as we know, unless something dramatic happens, that it'll pass the Senate. So the debt ceiling will finally be behind us, ahead of the deadline. Now, what does that mean, of course, is that now the Treasury will be able to issue debt. And and the the real kind of key to this whole debt ceiling bill is, is that now the government has unlimited spending until 2025. So there is no limit to how much debt that can be printed or published over the next two and a half years until we get to the next de- debt ceiling debate and get past the next election. So it's now estimated that the debt will increase by about $4 trillion a year over the next couple of years as we have all these spending programs continue to kick into place. And again, nobody's now bridled by any stretch of the imagination to rein in any spending. And this is always the problem with these debt deals. They don't really curtail spending. Uh, despite all of the maturation saying, oh, well, you know, we, we, we're, we're spending less money. Well, no, you're not really spending less money. All you did was claw back money you didn't use. Um, so that's not really cutting spending. But now, again, there's well no debt limit here, so debt will continue to rise over the next couple of years. But uh, initially what will happen, as soon as the debt ceiling bill is passed, the Treasury has to refund all of the accounts that it borrowed money from. And so the Treasury has been using emergency measures, and this is where they borrowed from federal pension funds and other other pots of money in their Treasury general account, et cetera, to continue to pay the bills while this debt ceiling debate was going on. Well, now, um, and we'll talk about this more with uh, Michael Leibowitz this morning, but now that has to be refunded. So immediately there is going to be a rash of debt issuance. Now, most of this will be short-term bills and that that will certainly probably send interest rates a little bit higher here over the next you know month or so as those bills get published and sold off into the marketplace. So again, we could see rates tick up here a little bit um, over the next couple of weeks, but it'll be over fairly quickly and this debt will get bought and it will get put into the market. It's not going to be a collapse of the debt market or anything like that. It's just going to be a little bit of a wiggle in the market while, um, You know, these bills get issued and and sold off into the market, the the funds are raised and bills and and the accounts are replenished. So we are going to see a contraction, though, in liquidity. You know, we regularly produce this monetary liquidity index, which is basically the Federal Reserve balance sheet, the Treasury general account, and, of course, the reverse repo programs that's actually been showing an increase in liquidity over the last month or so which is which there's a decent correlation between that liquidity index and the s p 500 so uh, the, the fact the market's been rallying here not surprising given that uh, a kind of increase in liquidity in the markets so, well that's going to reverse here on a short-term basis so that may be a drag on stocks here temporarily again markets had really kind of gotten ahead of themselves particularly on the nasdaq side we saw this big chase into the the whole ai you know uh, infrastructure deal semiconductors in particular nvidia amd etc have had very very you know outsized moves uh very very overbought Uh, nvidia for example is four standard deviations above its 50-week moving average so i mean it's extremely extended uh, in a short-term move Uh, So we're probably going to see a bit of a relaxation in some of those stocks here over the next month or so. Uh, Again, we're also moving into summer months. That tends to be weak. Uh, NASDAQ tends to have one of its weakest months of the year in the month of June. So if we're going to see a a kind of a a short-term correction, which would likely be a buying opportunity, um, it'll probably be in the month of June. So there's some things that are going on, of course, in the month of June that may contribute to a a, a, a bit of a pullback here again. Not a big correction, not anything, you know, outside of norm, but, you know, a bit of a relaxation in this rally wouldn't be surprising. Um, And and also, too, just this is why we talked about yesterday taking a little bit of profit here. So if you've got some of these stocks that have just really been been on a tear lately, you know, uh, let's say that you own 2% of the position uh, in your portfolio or 3%, whatever it was, it's now 4% trim it back to whatever the original position size was. You know, if it was three and it's now four, trim it back to three. It doesn't mean sell everything. When you say take profits, that doesn't mean sell everything. But, you know, this is probably a decent opportunity to to pair back on some of those positions a little bit, resize here a little bit. And then, you know, when you get a pullback in the market, then you can buy, you know, some shares back at a lower price and continue to own the position longer term. So just, you know, kind of a way to think about your portfolio. Um, Outside of that, Really, again, you know, there's, there's lots of concern and we're going to get into a couple of things this morning with Michael Leibowitz. There's certainly some things of concern here as we go forward over the next few months and, and get into the, the rest of summer. Typically tends to be a weaker time of the year. Uh, you know, manufacturing indexes continue to show signs of weakness. We saw the Chicago PMI yesterday that's showing signs of weakness, which, uh, which will feed into the manufacturing indexes. So we still have this concern over economic weakness. But it really hasn't manifested itself yet into things like uh, job openings, which you know actually showed a, a kind of a decent surge in, in job openings yesterday. Quit rate continues to fall. That suggests that, that wages may, may stagnate here a little bit. Um, but that's all kind of feeding this idea that the economy is slowing down here. And, but now on Friday, we have the employment number for May. So again, that's expected to come in right around 200,000 jobs. But ironically, over the last 13 months, the, the, the numbers actually beat those estimates every single month for 13 months. That is the largest number of beats in a row ever in history and by a large margin. You don't normally have the analyst or the economist this wrong so many months in a row expecting kind of weaker numbers. And yet that job number can, continues to come in exceedingly strong. So, again, Friday's employment report expected right around to be around 200,000 jobs. But, again, if we get another 300,000 job print on Friday, that's certainly going to weigh on the Federal Reserve and their, their outlook. Because, again, as we've talked about uh, you know, previously and we're going to get into a bit this morning, uh, more this morning with Mike because... The next Fed meeting is coming up. You know, they're hiking rates to try to slow the economy and and bring the unemployment rate up some to help slow down inflation and and get the economy to to cool down here a bit. And it hasn't been working. So the question is, on June the 14th, do they pause or do they hike? That's going to be the big question coming up. And we'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Mike's latest article is out on the website about CBDCs. Uh, I've got some interesting articles coming out tomorrow and, of course, this weekend's newsletter all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: Wow, Red, whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer?
0: Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malays.
1: Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer.
0: Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment The Real Investment Show.
1: to welcome uh, back to the show this morning it is thursday of course getting ready to wrap up this week of course holiday shortened short and weak, so it's been uh, a quick a quick one uh so far and and uh, markets have been kind of holding in there yesterday as i said markets kind of pulled back here a little bit ahead of the whole debt ceiling debate people just kind of unsure what was going to happen but apparently, enough backroom deals were cut that, you know, we got the deal passed. And, and of course, the Democrats are going, to look, you know, it's so funny because this was their bill and we had to help them pass it. So, <laughs> you know, it's not a great look for uh, for uh, House Speaker, uh, House Majority Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So, not, not really a great look for him. But, um, Anyway, that's deals done. As I said, it now goes to the Senate. Um, it, is pr- it is fairly assured right now that it'll pass the Senate, unless there's some surprise large number of holdouts in the Senate that nobody's really counting on. But right now, it's, it's it seems fairly assured it'll pass. Um, this will eliminate this whole overhang. And right We can finally get rid of these ridiculous headlines about, you know, we're going to default on our debt, and it's the end of the world as we know it. Um, you know, all these kind of... You know, again, all this hyperbole that that's, was put out there over the last several months. We said, hey, it's, you know, don't worry about that. That's the, you know, that's the distraction at the moment. Uh, and now it is. It's getting put away. So, again, the next the next big step here, though, is, of course, the refunding of the Treasury account. So, again, immediate questions are, and and you know about this is what does this mean for interest rates what does this mean you know that this is this is surely going to you know when they have to issue all this debt this is going to crash the bond market etc so uh, we're going to get into that this morning we also want to talk about the federal reserve because right around the corner here we've got the next meeting on june the 14th and you know will they hike or not Uh, there's some you know interesting problems that the fed is facing at the moment in terms of much stronger economy than what they would like and a surging stock market, so a couple of things going on there as well. So all that we'll get into this morning. Mike, welcome to the show. So let's talk about interest rates and the bond market and and this refunding of the general account. It's been interesting over the last couple of days as we were kind of approaching this vote on the debt ceiling bill. Bonds have actually been rallying fairly nicely.
0: Yeah, uh, you know what? The the Treasury is going to issue they think between six hundred eight hundred billion of debt. Over over the next uh, few weeks, uh, most the uh, large, large majority of it is going to be very short term debt, three month bills, six month bills, one year bills, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you have to know about the bond market, like the stock market and like other market is markets is it anticipates anticipates. It's not trading on what's happening today. It's trading on what they think will happen tomorrow. So and we have enormous experience with this in the Treasury market because the Treasury is always auctioning off some kind of Treasury bill or note or bond. Mm -hmm. So, so what's going on today is not new, it's just the size. And typically, typically, if the Treasury is coming with, let's just say, a 10 year auction and the market thinks it's a little too much, the market will increase the yield in the days leading up to the auction. Because the way these auctions work is that Wall Street and the banks take down or end up owning a large majority of the auction, and then they redistribute it to their clients, to the, quote, unquote, end user. So Wall Street doesn't want to buy something at a high price and sell it at a low price. So what they do is they they back down the price, increase the yield going into the auction. That way they can try to buy it cheaper. And then sell it back at the level it should be at. So with an auction, it's not that big a deal. It's a couple basis points over a couple days. You you know, if it's a good auction, you get improvements. Sometimes the banks and dealers don't get the bonds they want and they have to scramble to cover their shorts, and you can get a decent rally. Sometimes they you, you know, it can work both ways. But the, the bottom line is the market anticipates what's coming. The market has known this has been coming for months it's been anticipating we've seen yields trading higher slightly mm-hmm. higher you know not not nothing like what we saw 6 months ago but but they have been grinding higher across the yield curve you know and we've seen we've talked about the volatility in one month bills but most of that was just around a potential delay of payments re, you know related to the potential default um so I think, Lance, that the market has largely anticipated this. Now, we may see some sloppy auctions, Treasury bill auctions, which may affect the very short Treasury bills by a few basis points. And that that effect may last for a few days. But I don't think there's going to be any meaningful effect on five-year, 10-year, you know, 20, 30-year paper, Treasury paper. Right. I, I think the market knows it's coming knows what to expect, has already priced it in, and it will trade where it should trade. And that'll be, I think, much more based on economic data, where they think the Fed is going. You know, we got another round of inflation data. We have employment on Friday. So all those data points and the Fed meeting mid-month. So I think those are what's going to drive the bond market And the 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 auctions will have very minimal effect, especially on the long end of the curve.
1: Well, and that's kind of the the important point here, because, you know, again, just you know, numerous headlines lately. It's like, oh my gosh, as soon as this debt ceiling's passed, you know, interest rates are going to spike to the moon, and, you know, uh, you know, just all these kind of just this hyperbole that's you know just across the kind of across the financial media and again this goes to the same same type of messaging we saw around the whole debt ceiling debate it's like well if we don't pass it you know we're going to default on our debt and we've been through this it's like no we're not you know this we've been through this uh, you know 78 79 now times other times and you know this is the way it always works out so again it's just important to kind of keep things in perspective it's so easy to kind of get wrapped up in the headlines because you read this stuff you go know, kind of in the media you see it on the news. And, and most of it's nonsense, but it makes for great headlines and it gets people to watch things, it gets people to, you know, click to view articles, but it also gets people to make bad decisions within their portfolio because of emotional biases. And, and so, again, we just, you know, it's always important to kind of come back and focus, you know, kind of on this. Just real quick, you brought up a, a couple of points. What, just kind of on average, what is the normal size of a bond auction normally when we do a bond auction?
0: Is like they're, they're all over the place. And it depends. You know, the, the shorter term bills are much larger than mm-hmm. the than the longer term bills. And I, I don't have the numbers. I mean, I don't follow the Treasury right. bill auctions. They're just not they happen all the time. They're not big deals. The market absorbs them. And, you know, they're the other thing, Lance, is there's such great demand right now for money market funds. And guess what? That's what money market funds buy. That's what they own. Right. And, you know, when they're not buying it. Treasury, you know, corporate treasurers are buying them, individuals are buying them. So that's another reason not to get overly concerned about right. the supply in the front end of the curve. Yeah. And there's so,
1: definitely a lot of money going into money market funds right now. So. Right. So that's right. This and providing a, that's providing a buyer for these short term bills.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's actually the timing is is actually perfect for them. So they're going to they're going to hit a market that wants that paper. Uh, and you know the other thing, Lance, is it's still a month, but we're going into quarter end. Right. So at quarter end, everyone tries to hold more cash. So, you know, that's that's kind of a liquidity issue to think about too, as we kind of roll into these last four weeks. That the Treasury will probably increase their count at the Fed by six to eight hundred billion. The Fed will reduce their balance sheet by close to another hundred billion. And the reverse repo program, which the Fed runs, which is a liquidity tool, will probably suck out some more money, some more liquidity as well, because that tends to mm-hmm. increase as you get closer to quarter end. So the three major components of what what we call Fed liquidity are all going to take liquidity out of the markets. Right. And, um, th- and that's that no, that, that, all markets.
1: Right. And that brings up a really good point, too, because you mentioned this earlier, kind of just in passing. And, and I, I think it's important for people to understand how the Treasury bond market works. There's 20 primary dealers um, around the world, and those are your primary buyers of, of the tre- at the Treasury auction. So when the Treasury says and it's truly an auction, the Treasury says, hey, I'm going to issue one hundred billion dollars worth of T-bonds. Then these twenty primary dealers, they basically bid on the bonds, and that's what sets the, the yield. To, to Mike's point, this is why the yield will move up or down because it's what the treasury, this treasury auction, is causing, and, and and it's the the buyers of these bonds from the treasury, and that's setting the yield. And like Mike said, these twenty primary dealers, in, in normal environments, right, um, going back to you know forever. Um, They would buy the bonds from the Treasury and then they would sell it to their clients. So you would have an account at, you know, J.P. Morgan or Bank of America, whatever, and they would buy the Treasury and then they would sell you the Treasury bond. And the one difference that occurred um, during 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 was when the Fed was doing quantitative easing is that the primary dealers would buy the bonds from the Treasury and then two days later would sell it to the Federal Reserve. So the bond would just kind of make a loop and wouldn't actually get sold off to to clientele. It would just get sold off to the Fed for quantitative easing. And that that is a difference right now, Mike, is that the Fed isn't there as the the stand-in buyer for these bonds.
0: Right. Now, there's another little wrinkle to the auctions, and they're called indirect bids. And anyone can bid the auction. You can go open an account at the Treasury, Treasury Direct, and buy the auction. So, and what we've seen is that the amount of indirect bids has been large. Mm-hmm. So right. that may occur and that may catch the dealers too short, where they have to come in after the auction and buy just to cover their shorts. So, you know, it's been a really tricky environment for the dealers. Um, and these large auctions are not going to be easy for them trying to figure out where they can sell it at, where they need to buy it at, how much to short before the auction, et cetera.
1: Right. And, and, and it's, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting, but I think that the key takeaway here is, is you know, really twofold from Mike and I is, one, don't panic over, this, over what's about to happen with the Treasury. We, we go through this every time we have a debt ceiling debate. In fact, you go back to 2011, which is the closest similarity, what we just went through with, with this whole debacle issue. Yields actually fell after the debt ceiling was passed. So, you know, that's the thing to kind of pay attention to here is, you know, don't get wrapped up in the headlines. Pay attention to how these things actually operate. Um, But even if there is an increase in yield, it'll be short term in nature and it won't be of magnitudes in proportion. It'll be a few, you know, just a a smidge. Right? just they'll tick up a little bit, but that'll be it. Um, ultimately, it's always about inflation and wages. We'll come back talk about the Federal Reserve. Their next meeting coming up on the 14th of June. What are they going to do? That's coming up next. The Real Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. <laughs> and welcome back to the show this morning so coming up june the 14th is the next much anticipated fed meeting will they won't they that's the big question right um If you take a look at Fed Fund futures and kind of what it's predicting right now, that's actually been creeping up to about 5.35 percent, suggesting that the Fed's going to hike rates again. Now, the question is whether or not they hike at the next meeting or the meeting after whatever. Um, But it is suggesting right now that the Fed is going to have to hike rates some more. Um, and even some recent kind of Fed speak has come out talking about the need to hike rates more. And again, as the um, you know, employment and economic data continues to remain you know, strong, that is certainly leading to this inflation uh, remaining a lot more sticky than what the Fed would like. In fact, if you take a look at the core rate of inflation um, compared to what the Fed projections were in terms of where they thought inflation would be, um, inflation is currently tracking much higher than where the Fed's projection of their trend was supposed to be by this time. So, again, they've hiked rates a lot. We've gone from zero to five percent now on the Fed funds rate, and it doesn't—it's it's having a, a small bit of a minor effect on inflation, but prices are, are remaining a lot more sticky. So this is kind of a conundrum for the Fed. Uh, Friday is the next employment number, so we're going to see the June, uh, the the May employment. rate uh, report and that number, as I said at the opening, has been much stronger than analyst estimates over the last 13 months. In fact, that's the longest streak on record of out, you know, outperforming the analyst uh, by a large margin. Um, we've never seen such a streak before in history, and so it's it's kind of this anomaly of just how strong the job market has been over the last you know year or so as compared to what the Fed was wanting. So, again, this is this is going to be a challenge for the Fed. Again, there's this whole, we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum, this lag effect of rate hikes and kind of keep waiting for the lag effect to show up. But it hasn't seemed to quite show up yet And where it matters, and that's where the employment is. Um, so, Mike, uh, Fed coming up on June the 14th, will they, won't they? That's the next big question.
0: I don't know. I think the market's right. It's, it's assigning about a two-thirds chance that they will. We still have the employment report, and I'm not sure exactly when CPI comes out, but either way, the Fed will have that number. But if I could go back to what you said, it's mm-hmm. really fascinating if you think about what you just said. You said that the Fed didn't anticipate inflation would be this sticky, no. right? We also remember in late 2020, throughout 2021, high inflation was going to be transitory. It was going to spike and come right back down. It was going to last months, not not years. Right. Right. The Fed has. And I saw this number once, and I think it's like four or five hundred (laughs) PhDs. Maybe it's 200. Yeah, it's a lot. PhDs, economists. Right. These guys have gone through significant education. And my guess is most of them are at, at some of the best schools in the world. Right. They can't predict this stuff. Right, We can't predict this stuff. No one can predict this stuff. So uh, I, I think it just should, should serve as a humbling moment for everyone. That And it's like the weather. We can't predict the weather. You can predict the weather for a day or so. But once you start going out a few days, the success of predicting the weather is poor. Right. Right. So don't be so assured that we're going to have a hard landing, a soft landing, no landing. And just because the commentators on CNBC tell you we're going to have this or that, or the, the very wealthy private equity manager or Jerome Powell or a politician or, or another Fed member, you, you know, the key is we really have to think for ourselves. You have to follow certain key indicators that tend to lead, but understand what's going on. And I just think it's, you know, the fact that the Fed is getting this inflation so wrong, they're getting employment wrong, they're getting economic growth wrong. So, you know, does will the market get it right? No, markets <laughs> don't get it right either. They, they may get parts of it right, part of it wrong. But, you know, Lance, we're going to go back to January 1st. Got, we have to be prepared to audible. That means audible to the bullish side, audible to the bearish side, mm-hmm. because we're in a very unique environment here. So as hard as it is predicting the economy, markets, inflation, you name it, it's even harder now because of everything that happened in 2020 and 2021 from the stimulus side, from our behavioral side. And this was global in nature, not just isolated to the United States or right. even just at the, the G3 or G7.
1: Well, and again, you know, this is the but this is the challenge the Fed faces is, you know, they they, you know, we right. talk about this lag effect, right? And that, you know, you've hiked all these rates and you know, you would have expected to see consumer spending slow down a lot more than it has, but retail sales were actually pretty decent last month. You know, so again, we're not seeing this right. you know, this impact of these Fed rate hikes and the Fed's got to be sitting there going, "Well, you know, do we just kind of wait it out now and see? I mean, now, one thing they did mention in the last in the last meeting, and which is a, a true fact, is the um, bank lending standards have tightened dramatically. And, you know, that also acts as a rate hike on the economy because banks are lending out less credit. That means less access to credit, um, which means slower economic activity. So there is this other component that's also contributing to potentially slowing the economy. But even that has not seen a huge effect just yet. I mean, um, if you take a look, housing prices actually ticked up last month. So, you know, we're, you know, it's, you know, all the things you, you should ex- be expecting to see, you know, with interest rates at 5%, the highest they've been in, you know, probably 30 years uh, on the Fed funds rate. We've seen the 10 year treasury uh, rise dramatically. Mortgage rates are back up to, you know, six and a half, seven 7%. You, you would expect to kind of be seeing a really sharp slowdown Um, You know, in the housing market, housing stocks are near all time highs. And it's just kind of baffling here what's been happening, you know, inside the market, but how resilient the economy has been up to this point.
0: And I think this all goes back to what we've been talking about for God only knows how long, the lag effect. And it's it's hard to predict the lag effect in more normal environments. It's much harder. It's been much harder to understand the lag effect in this environment. So, look, at the end of the day, interest rates are way too high for the baseline economic growth of this country, mm-hmm. which is one and a half, two percent. Interest rates are for Treasury, four percent for mortgages near seven percent. You know, credit card loans are God only knows what they are now. Car loans, corporate loans. But but it's just taking a while for those to hit. But we have seen it in some of the uh, corporate corporate uh Earning statements. Their interest expenses are starting to rise. They're going up at decent clips. Now, the reason that they're not just shooting higher is because they only have so much debt maturing at any one time. Mm-hmm. So as old debt matures, they tend to reissue it at current rates. And that's when they get hit by the rate effect, by the higher interest expense. Same thing is going on with the U.S. Treasury. And, you know, the mortgage market, you know, it it seems healthy, and the how the new housing market certainly seems healthy, mm-hmm. but there's just not much trading. You know, people that are selling don't really have options on where to move to if they because they don't want to trade in their three <laughs> percent mortgage for a seven percent mortgage. Right, and the the lower the lower side of the housing market, you can't attract. It's really hard to attract new buyers because the the mortgage rate is so high. Right, so. You know, I just wonder if if statistical measures of the housing market are just so off from what we're used to, just because there's just n- not much inventory, not much demand. So when there is a, a sale, which are fairly uncommon, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it just skews the data and right. it's not really representative of a good, healthy market
1: right well and that's and that's you know it's it's, you know when you talk about the housing market in particular a big number of the sales that have been occurring on the higher end have been all cash deals right so you know the people that have money you know they're selling their house going i'll just pay cash for you know the next house they're probably downsizing whatever it is um so that's that's kind of been one of the anomalies but yeah you know to your point though it's you know it's interesting and we go back to the fact that there's still a tremendous amount of liquidity in the market and that's one thing that's really been you know potentially, you know, delaying the onset of the recession, because, you know, if you go through, you know, back to, you know, yes, we sent checks to households, but we also increased a lot of benefits, uh, you know, child care benefits and uh, uh, unemployment benefits, etc. And some of those didn't run out till December of last year. So it's really just takes time. You know, there's so much money still floating around the system. That it just takes time for that money to leave and get extracted and people have to turn to debt. And and again, people have paid off credit card debt during the the pandemic when they got all this free money. So they've got room to run these things back up. You know, it's just that's just going to delay that lag effect, you know, of the next recession, you know, a a lot longer than people expect.
0: Right student loans student loan payments were suspended until i think they start they have to restart in july
1: right well uh, the actual they they the we talked about this yesterday the moratorium will end in this month and then the payments will start up in september the 1st
0: uh, september
1: but that's still right. so, you know, but that could be that's about 38 billion a year in money that will leave the system to go pay interest to go pay student loan payments so right. that's and that's not a small thing
0: right right So these are all parts of the lag effect. And kind of going back to the debt cap, there's still fierce competition, political divergence in the House and Senate. So passing major spending bills still isn't going to happen, even though the amount of spending will still be high. Exactly.
1: All right. Quick break. We'll come back. Uh, touch on a couple of things. with the markets this morning uh futures pointing a little bit higher s&p's up about seven nasdaq up about 30 right now um you know kind of a little bit of relief the debt ceilings passed at least in the house again it's got to go to the senate everybody's pretty confident it's going to pass there um of course the question is now what happens next you know markets ran right up into this there was no real concern about this from the markets so is it kind of a buy the room or sell the news we'll talk about that we'll come back from the break don't go away
0: At daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: So welcome back to the show today you know my wife's into you know she loves all these podcasts and shows on who done it right those kind of those you know 48 hours and she loves those those podcasts on murder you know unsolved murders etc she loves she loves that yeah. stuff just and you know so i am I'm, I'm reading this article right now because uh, tim blefnik uh, forgive me if i'm pronouncing it wrong um, he was the Family Feud contestant that mm-hmm. he was on Family Feud in 2020, and he was asked what his biggest mistake was. He says, "My biggest mistake was saying I do," um, which wasn't a good thing to say in television. <laughs> anyway, so his wife's murdered. They find the body, you know, yep. shot 14 times. And, you know, they, they find, you know, the, the most damning evidence. I'll just Let me just read this to you because it's, it's too good to pass up this morning. Um, the greatest evidence originated from Tim Blythesk's laptop, which included Google searches and website visits for instructions on how to pick locks, open windows from the outside, clean gunshot residue from a smoking gun, open doors with a crowbar, and trace shotgun rounds fired from a specific gun. So this is what he was searching. So I just, I'm telling you all this now, so if I turn up missing... <laughs> Who done it? Yeah, who done it? Forty-eight hours—that's all the time you have to find the 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 the, the perpetrator. I'm just wondering. Google search <laughs> the Lance Roberts mystery. It'll be on 40 hours. cold case. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, just letting you know. I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, um anyway, they uh, apparently they have found him guilty of the murder. Nowadays, oh yeah, so yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, um, and I never really understood that, right? Just get divorced and move on. You know. Yeah. Now you're gonna spend the rest of your life in prison. I don't know. I don't get it. Anyway. And she
0: was a lovely looking woman, too.
1: There's a there's a there's an old yes, saying I about know. that. I know. <laughs> I know. Just saying. Just saying. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> so you know, a big question now is, of course, as we uh, kind of left off in the last segment, Fed, of course, is going to hike rates. Will they, won't they, whatever, coming up on June the 14th. That's going to be the next worry for the markets right now. Um, but so far, it really hasn't phased the market much. Since October, uh, the markets have been in a very nice bullish trend here, um, doing exactly what you would expect, establishing higher highs, higher lows. It's just been a very nice trending process. Um, lots of negativity, right? Uh, bullish sentiment is very low on the markets across both retail and professional investors. Nobody's really buying the rally at this point. Um, and again, every time we rally, you know, article after article after article, it's a bear trap and it's a bull trap, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, so there's just, you know, everybody's very negative about the markets, but yet the market keeps climbing this wall of worry so far. And interestingly enough, you know, if we go back to 2011, when we were dealing with the debt ceiling debate and then of course you know back then S&P actually downgraded the U.S. Treasury to from A to double Uh this time around Fitch came out and said oh we're thinking about downgrading the debt because of of you know the whole you know potential for default we're going to downgrade the debt well, you should downgrade the debt anyway we've got 31 trillion of it we're 120 percent of GDP probably should downgrade the debt but that's a different story right. um but yet In 2011, the market declined 20% heading into the debt ceiling deal because they were worried about the default. This time around, the market rallied right into the debt ceiling. Um, So there's, you know, the market has not been worried about this debt ceiling issue up to this point. The problem now, though, is, is in the, and the question is, is it now kind of a buy the rumor, sell the news thing? Because if you take a look at the NASDAQ, it's trading well into three standard deviations above its moving average. And that's some technical mumbo jumbo. It just means it's really stretched here. And that's been because of this whole A.I. chase, right? The, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, et cetera. Quick little fun fact this morning. Elon Musk bought twitter for 44 billion dollars his net worth has now increased this year from january to the end of may by 55 billion dollars because of tesla so he's basically bought uh, twitter for free at this point Uh, so but anyway you know these stocks have been you know driving up the market we've talked about the passive indexing effect um and yet really there's been no concern so so the the issue now becomes you know kind of what happens next for the markets and as Mike said, you know, earlier, the best answer we have is we have no idea what will happen next. It's just that's why we remain kind of audible. But the markets are getting overbought here short term. So again, you know, uh, you know, if you take a look at the relative strength index on the NASDAQ is a good example. That's at very high levels. The S&P is, is creeping up there a bit. But here's the, here's the conundrum, right? If you take a look at the equal weighted indexes, they are not overbought. And so... As we've as we discussed, there's been this big this big divergence in the market. There's basically been three sectors that are rallying and the other seven aren't. So do we get a correction in the markets or just a big rotation? This is gonna be the next challenge, Mike. Um what do you think?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the market is in dire need of a rotation. And by that we mean that tech and communications, discretionary underperform and the all the other sectors or most of the other sectors outperform. But, you know, we can go through periods where just a few like last year energy Mm -hmm. and to a much lesser degree value type stocks did really well. Everything else underperformed. And that, that kind of condition can persist for a while. Ultimately, yes, the market will rotate. But it's not as, you know, it's not as easy as saying it's extended. It's going to rotate immediately. Right. Right. It, It can, you know, we may go into a period now for three or four weeks where tech just is kind of flat, maybe goes down a little bit where the other sectors go up a little bit. And essentially all those indicators of overbought, oversold get back to neutral. It's just time. Time can also relieve any uh, overboughtness, oversoldness, or, you know, stress in the markets. So, it's not clear cut that we're going straight back to the high dividend value energy sectors. And it's not clear cut that that there's much gas left in the engine for some of the, for these five, you know, give or take five stocks to keep dragging the market ahead. Um, So, you know, June may just be one of those blah months where it just goes nowhere. But, you know, the issue, the, the, the tougher thing to think about is that with those largest market cap stocks outperforming, they are worth, they they their contribution to the S&P is more, more now than it was a month or two or three months ago. So what they do has a much bigger say on what the market does. So we could have a market where let's just say the Apple, the Microsofts and NVIDIAs drop 5% and the other sectors are up 5%. You know, a lot of you would say, well, the market will be flat, maybe up a little bit. The market will probably be down a few percent in that circumstance. So, you know, what's been really important to do is look beyond the surface, look beyond what the indexes are doing and understanding what's going on beneath it. And I think in an up market, and a down market, that will hold true. How healthy is the market? Is every stock kind of following the same path or is it just a few? So if we start going down, also take a look. Is it just three stocks dragging the whole market down or is it a large majority of stocks? And those heat maps are going to prove very important you know they they have been important for the last couple of months and i think they're going to be something that we continue to look at daily to to truly understand what the market's doing because those indexes the change in the daily changes in the index aren't telling us much right
1: and that, and that, look that's the that's going to be the big Frustration for investors, you know, come the end of this year. We saw, and again, you bring up a good point because we saw this last year. Energy was, you know, up 40% last year. The rest of the market was down 20%. And, you know, almost like a light switch, it just, changed and you know everybody hated fang stocks in october of last year now they can't get enough of them and they hate energy so you know it's 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 the exact opposite this year and again these rotations occur like this but they've been very dramatic over the last couple of years and and that's much more dramatic than normal but but again to your point i think this is you know it's going to prove frustrating because if you don't own a portfolio of just seven stocks eight stocks nine stocks you're underperforming the market right now there's just you know, that's or unless you just own the S&P, then you're just performing with the market. Um, but right. anything you own outside of that, if you own emerging markets or, you know, value stocks or whatever, you're underperforming because this is a very narrow rally. I've, I'm doing some work right now for our report next week. And, you know, one of the the arguments has been is like, well, if you take a look at the advanced decline line, this this market breadth is actually, you know, very strong here. and And that's a very healthy market. And that's not really the case. Because all market breadth tells you is the number of stocks that went up versus the number of stocks that went down. And so a stock may go up today but be down tomorrow and then up the next day and be going nowhere, but because of its daily price changes back and forth, which we're seeing a lot of that, it makes the advanced decline line look stronger than it really is. If you take a look at the index of the number of stocks that have a positive return for the year versus negative, that breadth really isn't there. And if you take a look at stocks that have been – outperforming the index this year it's a very small number so you know right. it's and, and and this is going to be the challenge for investors is you know you're going to have a lot of investors that at the end of the year they're like well you know i underperformed the index last year so i got to do this and and make some decision around whatever it is but that's going to really be a faulty decision process because of this very narrow breadth in the market that's occurring
0: Right. And we may get a reprieve for a few weeks. We do get some sort of rotation and then we go right back to where we are for another two months yeah. of the same kind of activity. Yeah, exactly. In our commentary today uh, that will be going out momentarily, there is a graph showing the the number, the percentage of stocks that are over under or under a certain uh, or over a certain uh, key moving average. I think it's the 50 day, but yep. I could be wrong. And it's very low compared to where we typically are when the market is running up like this. Absolutely. So again, another sign that most stocks are going nowhere.
1: Exactly. All right, Mike, thanks so much for today. And of course, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. uh, Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso in the morning of course, for Financial Fitness Friday. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the website for our weekly newsletter. That'll be out on Saturday. Talk a little bit about the artificial intelligence revolution that's in the newsletter this weekend. Uh, and of course, also, um, I will have a blog post out tomorrow as well. But since your questions, comments, emails, whatever we do to help you, happy to do it. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.